part of my future You write my story You hold it all together God of my present God of my future You write my story You hold it all together God of my present God of my future you're faithful even when we're not faithful you're faithful always you're faithful to your promises to your word you keep your word we can always count on that we can stand on your word we thank you for that father you're a wonderful mighty god wonderful mighty god father ask that right now as we worship you and we praise you that you would come and be in our midst that your presence would fill this place, that we can experience being in your throne room, in your presence. Wanting more, and here 
is our praise you can dwell within come again let the glory in and Let the glory end. I'm open. Oh, come again. Let the glory end. I'm open. I'm open. Oh, come again. Let the glory space is what you wanted all along it's not a building you want to feel it's my heart this empty space is what you wanted all along it's not a building you want to feel it's my heart this empty space is what you wanted all along Building you wanna feel is my heart. This empty space is what you call it all alone. Ooh, so come again, let the glory in and I'm open. I'm open. Let the glory end. I'm open. Father, come in. Come in this place. Let your presence fill this place. Come again, Father. We're open. We're open, Father. We welcome you in this place. We hold nothing back. We hide nothing. We leave it all to you. And say, Father, have your way. Come and fill this place. Be in this room with us, Lord. Be in this room with us. Be in this room with us, Father. Inhabit the praises of your people. Come again. Let the glory in. Let the glory end. I'm open. Come, Father, come. Come, Father, come. Father, we wait on you. We wait on you, Lord, come. Ooh. Ooh. 
forget about today. Forget about what happened today. Put it away from your mind and begin to just worship him. Say, welcome him into this place. He's a holy God.
of all the, the stars and the solar systems and the, the planets. Father, you just spoke them into existence. We can't even fathom it. All we can say is, Father, Like you, oh, there's no one like you. 
Oh, mm-hmm. 
Amen. Who has a testimony or a praise report? Anyone tonight? Yes? Yes, I saw that. Amen. That's awesome. Anyone else? Um, I didn't bring my phone in here, but I'll find it real quick. Um, I started getting phone calls Sunday right after church, after people were leaving, and um, I got a phone call from one lady who, I mean, she had been gone 20 minutes and had delivered a box of food to the family, and the lady just was so, she said, evidently she had been ill, 
and and her family was coming in and they were upset with her because she wasn't able to cook or wasn't she hadn't been able to shop she didn't know how she was going to be able to have food or whatever and so when she showed up with the food she was just like ecstatic she just cried and, and was so uh, excited about that and um, then I got another testimony about from somebody else and and I'll, I'll leave names out of it but I'll just read it to you and said, the impact of my box had little to do with food. I prayed and kept, God kept leading me um, to two young men. Uh, one's 17, one's 19. They're living on their own. Evidently, their parents have thrown them out. And they're good kids and trying to make a way and everything. And this person felt impressed. They wouldn't be the obvious choice. You think of a family or whatever. But. They kept feeling this was the person they wanted to go to. And uh, they said they don't know much about the story, just that they're extremely hardworking, very kind and polite young men. She says, get, uh, get the impression they had pretty much had to raise one another. They have three brothers. And he said, quote, we've been trying to get closer to God. I don't think you can grasp but what this means to us, unquote. And he said it was a sign for them. And that it was a message from God. And, and uh, this person said, I'm so glad that I got to play a small part and wanted you to let you know our faithfulness matters. The tiny little things that God tells us to do that seem so insignificant really do matter. Our part in other people's lives, our little part in other people's lives matter. And, uh, and God wins. And so uh, I just thought that was great. Um, uh, you know, when we're obedient to the Lord and listen to him as to where to go or what to do, and it may seem like on the outside that, you know, that, no, this is, we need to find a family. We need to find, here were two young men who were being faithful and doing what they're doing and yet said they were searching for God. And um, so uh, anyway, and then uh, after service Sunday, I had a, a young woman come up to me and say, are you the pastor? <laughs> I said, yes. And they said that um, they had been visiting churches and was not looking for a certain type of particular church. Uh, said, I didn't want to belong to a big giant church. I wanted to be able to know the people and the pastor and be able to talk to people. And... Um, uh, Anyway, there was some other conversation in there, and then they said, um, I think I want to make this my church. And I said, good. And they said, well, what do I have to do? I said, show up. Amen. And they said, you mean I don't have to fill out cards and do all that kind of stuff? I said, no. And she gave me a big old hug and started tears just streaming down her face. And then afterwards went and told somebody who had invited their I prayed that prayer that that guy had prayed. And so the, the Lord used the children to reach that individual. And um, yeah. Yeah. So anyway. It was really great. I mean, but before all the cleanup and everything was done, we were already getting testimonies from the children's program, from the food outreach and stuff like that. So 
I love it. I love to testify when God does really cool stuff. You know? Amen? I want to read from Matthew 19, verse 16 through 22 tonight. <clears throat> this won't be long, promise. Someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, mother, and you shall leave your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And you could underline that part right there. What am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And I'm going to borrow a title from a message I preached about 13 years ago, just, it was a series I actually did, and, um, but I'm just using the title tonight, talking about Risky Christianity, and it came about by, um, there's an organization, um, can't remember the name of it right offhand, but they, they do research for a year, every year, and they release a report in the late part of November of the 10 most dangerous places for Christians in the world, okay? And so they just had released their report, and there were some uh, countries that switched positions, the 10 most dangerous places. And, um, and they, they, they look at where Christianity continues to thrive in spite of repression and attempts to shut it down and uh, squash the faith and everything else. And there was just a few that really kind of stood out to me. One was Iran, and it said, according to the report, the Islamic Republic of Iran has one of the fastest growing churches in the world. Now, the fastest growing churches in the world. And they said, even though Christian religion, uh, religious expression in the country is heavily restricted, and converts to Christianity from Islam faced arrest, torture, and execution the church is flourishing there. Another one was China, which we've been hearing about China for years. But the report uh, said that China had taken steps in the last couple years to where you literally have to worship the government. And um, they said that um, it requires the citizens to worship the state, co-opting every religious structure possible into the mouthpiece of the CCP propaganda. That was what they said. And yet they said, despite the government's attempt to control all religious expression and worship, the report said that Christianity in China, lived out primarily in underground communities, is rapidly growing and now ranges between 70 and 100 million people in the country. Now, some people would say, that's not a lot because China's got a couple billion people, but you have to understand where it was 40, 50 years ago. It was very small numbers. So to say there's almost 100 million there now with that kind of harsh persecution, the number one country, this, this floored me, 
because half of the country professes to be Christian. The number one hardest country right now to be a Christian is Nigeria. Yeah, is at the top of the list. And they said it is arguably the most dangerous place to be a Christian in the world today. Even though nearly 50% of the Nigerian population professes to be Christian, the events of the past year have shown that the country's approximately 100 million Christians live under constant threat, torture, kidnapping, and execution. And of course, North Korea has always been one of the top three. And uh, I read, I read an, uh, an interview of a man and his family, and I wish I had the whole story here, but uh, for time's sake, I'll just tell you that the, the key part was this man escaped from North Korea, he, but he talks about uh, most of the evenings they had a contraband radio, which they weren't supposed to have in North Korea, and, um, but they had one, and usually the family would come together and quietly turn the light, down the light, sit by a little candle, and listen to flute music or whatever. But tonight, here was all the extended family crowded in the room, blankets over the windows, one little candle, and the radio turned so low that everybody has to literally put their ear to hear it, and they were listening to an outside um, uh, Christian broadcast that was being broadcast over the radio. And he talked about the fact that um, uh, he had had several members of his family who had been caught sharing, uh, how do they say it, showing the gospel. Not sharing, but showing it, which I thought was interesting choice of words, because uh, we should be showing the gospel. And, um, but uh, um, he had had some uncles, grandfather, and others who had been tortured and executed. Uh, in North Korea and then he said this he said when he went to South Korea he told the church there he said our brave brothers and sisters fellow believers in North Korea are preaching the gospel even this moment they are multiplying disciples they worship on the mountains hills and underground and he finished with this statement the gospel is unstoppable moving forward and spreading life all over inside North Korea. I thought, wow. Um, th that to me is exciting. But you have to admit that's living on the edge because in every moment, and if you've never been in that situation, it's hard to understand. I had the privilege back in the mid-90s of going to the underground churches in Vietnam, and which is much different than now because Amanda Thompson, who we support, is is openly working and and speaking about Christ and teaching and everything else, but when we went there, we were told, "Do not say Christ, do not say Jesus, do not say Christian, do not say Bible, do not say church, do not say any of those things in public. They will arrest you and throw you in prison. You'll never be heard of again." And um, and I remember when we went through customs, I turned around to the missionary. I said, "Praise God." got through he went <laughs> like don't say that we're so used to saying things that we have the freedom to say you know and then we met with so many people and and the whole, the whole it seemed like a an old secret spy movie kind of thing secret door knocks and waiting for responses and leaving your motorbike in an alley and walking down and 
down through alleys and upstairs and just, you know, I mean, it, it, was, it was, you know, meetings at night where you flash headlights before they open the gates for you to come in, um, five-hour boat rides um, down the Mekong River to meet behind a Buddhist temple in a, in a dragon uh, fruit orchard and meeting with Christians who had come down from the northern part of the country and having service out in the woods and then breaking meal together. I mean, you just, we don't understand what that's like. But one of the things that I'm convinced I'm seeing coming in the beginning, this in increasing this next year, one of the things that's happened um, with the thing that happened on October 7th with the Jews in, in Israel is suddenly, all of a sudden, uh, Christians uh, who are standing with Israel are now also coming under attack in our country. So it's not just the, and I don't know if you've seen it, but in the very beginning, the anti-Semitism thing was super strong. They were supportive of the Jews, and now there's a, there's a flip-flop happening because the media is getting involved and, and uh, the left and, and other things. And all of a sudden now, it's like, oh, we, we can't allow this to happen. And Christians who are pushing, saying we need to continue supporting Israel, now they're flipping that that on on us and I believe that that in the years this coming here in the years to come if the Lord doesn't come back that we're going to see just being outspoken as a Christian is going to open ourselves up to attack um, and um, I, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily I think that's what true Christianity was birthed in persecution and, um, and, and history shows that wherever persecution takes place, the church tends to flourish. And I think it's when the, ch when there's, when the church is comfortable, the church tends to sit back and do nothing. And so um, it, how many of you know that you, know, you, can, you can get a phone call and say so-and-so is in a wreck, they're in the hospital, and all of a sudden everything that was on your calendar that was important just disappeared? Your priorities became real clear. You got to get to the hospital. And so it's kind of the same thing. Um, about 10 years ago, I looked it up about 10 years ago, Amanda and I uh, took off during our Thanksgiving break. And I was reading a book. I took a couple books with me to read. And the first day I was reading a book, and, and um, I came across a question. Uh, raised by the author of the book that caused me to come to a screeching halt right there in the book. And it was like, because it, it was just so out of the ordinary. It was so out of, out, it just seemed so out of place. And, I, and it, for, my first response was, that's stupid. But then all of a sudden I was challenged by it, by the Holy Spirit about it. And um, uh, so you're probably wondering what was the statement. And it was really a question, and it's three words. Do angels yawn? Now, you're all looking at me like, yeah, you're, you're probably thinking, this is, what? And you know, you know we're, we're Pastor, you're nuts, angels yawn. And we're sitting around watching angels, you know. And um, I know it sounds crazy, but, but the, the, the concept that the author was putting forth in the book was that the idea had to do with whether or not 
Angels have the capacity to even get bored, okay? Hang on to it. So it conjured up the idea that some of us are living such safe lives that not only are we bored, but our guardian angels are bored. Okay? That's what it was. I mean, I never finished the rest of the book that week because I sat there just like replaying things in my mind and, and, and like, you have to understand me. I'm a very logical kind of linear thinker and I, I want to, you know, I'm a chess player. I'm like to figure out 10 moves ahead, whatever. But this thing kind of just stopped me in my tracks and I'm like, wait, you know, and, and, um, and it raised the question in my mind that if they could, and I say if, um, would guard our guardian angels, and, and, and I'm, I'm not going to get into theology about that. We know that the Lord has angels around his people. We know that the Lord has angels to, that are there to protect us, to help us. We, uh, I, they're not here to guide us. That's the Holy Spirit. But we know that the angels, angels are real. We know that every church has an angel. Uh, at least you should know that. The Bible talks about that. But so let's just go with the concept of guardian. If, if, if the Lord's given angels, um, uh, if they could, would they coax us out of our comfort zone and beg us to give them something dangerous to do. Now some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. <laughs> but <clears throat> um, so we have to ask ourselves, I, I've had several conversations in the last several months with people where occasionally this whole idea comes up that we have to be careful about being too outspoken because um, uh, we open ourselves up to attack. And I'm going, wait a minute. So what we're doing is clamping down on our, our speech because we don't want to be attacked. And so the question that I came up with that week when I came home it was this, when did it become safe to follow Jesus? When did somewhere somebody rewrite the rules that following Jesus means we're all going to be safe. He's going to take care of us. And, and you know, I teach Bible prophecy, and I believe in a pre-millennial uh, um, pre, uh, um, uh, rapture, uh, pre-tribulation rapture, but I tell people all the time, that does not mean at the first sign of trouble, Jesus is coming to take you home. Because the Bible says that it's through tribulation that our patience and our faith is refined and we, that Jesus said in this world you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. So I tell people all the time, that, in fact, all the signs that the, the disciples ask, what will be the signs of your coming? And he, he talks about the pestilence and fire and wars and earthquakes and all that. He said, but this is not that. He says, that's only the prelude to what's coming. And so I have a feeling that there's a lot of Christians who think that they've got a get out of trouble free card and that this first sign of a little bit of 
the, the trial or whatever that God's going to come and rescue them from that. Uh, I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, Noah was out there building that boat, loading that boat up until the moment it began to rain, and and then he was he was he was brought into safety. Um, so we have to ask ourselves: it, it, Is our goal to be safe serving Christ? I mean, if 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 that's what the goal is, then why does the Bible say that we walk by faith? Because it should say then we should walk by safe and not by faith. So um, I, I don't. I, I personally have come to the place that I don't think that one can simultaneously live by faith and be bored. Now, I'm not saying that every day is going to be like Disney World you know, or whatever, you know, fireworks and all that kind of stuff. But I'm just saying that faith and boredom to me are opposing forces. Um, because if we're bored, we're not trusting God. We're not living by faith. We're not, we're not out there being used by God. Uh, we're rather be behind our four walls and be safe. <clears throat> so we just read this story about the rich young ruler. And he had, he had everything. He was youthful, he was wealthy, he had power, he had influence, and yet he said he was still missing something. He was bored with his faith as evidenced by the question, I've done all those things, but what still do I lack? In other words, there was a lack inside of him. There was something saying there was something missing, even though he had kept all the commands and he had done everything else, he says, I'm missing something. I know I am. He's saying, I've done the religious things that's expected of me, and yet I still have a longing inside that tells me that something is still missing. I, I'm, I've said it before. God doesn't put a hunger inside of you to tease you for something that doesn't exist. You know, when I came to the Lord um, during the Jesus movement in 19, the early part of 1970, I mean, I was so on fire for the Lord. I mean, it was, this was all new. I didn't know any churches existed that believed in what I had experienced and everything. And when I'd hear about a Bible study and during the Jesus movement, there were Bible studies everywhere. And I was living in California and I'd go to this meeting and that meeting and, and, and they'd say, uh, who wants prayer? And I said, I want prayer. And they go, what do you want? And I said, I want prayer for more. And, and I kept, I was being told that there wasn't any more. That was it. That I had all that there was. And, and, and that was from February of that year up through November of that same year. And every place, I had such a hunger for more, but everybody that I went to, uh, most of them were probably very young believers, but they found themselves in a place of leadership, you know. I mean, back during the Jesus movement, if you knew Jesus six months, you were a leader because everybody else was new. You know, so it was almost like the blind leading the blind. And, uh, but they'd say, there isn't any more. You've got what you need. Just hang on till Jesus comes. And in my mind, I had this picture of like hanging on with my fingertips, you know, just waiting for Jesus to come. And then I went to a meeting and I heard somebody talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I asked the man, I said, what is that? He goes, it's, after you come to Christ, he says, it's more. I said, that's all I got to know right there. I want it because I, I heard more. That's what I wanted. I wanted more. 
Um, so here's the rich young ruler, and he's going, I'm, I'm still lacking something. I can tell I'm missing something on the inside. What is it I need to do to be complete? The, the NASB says, how do I be complete? It's, it's like, have you ever done a puzzle and found out there's one piece missing? <laughs> you know, so another reason why I hate puzzles. You know, I mean, and uh, I mean, just to get the whole thing done and find out there's a piece missing, and that's the way he felt. He felt like there was something missing, and there was this deep-seated longing inside of him. And as and so that week, as I read that, and I read this author, and he's talking about angels being bored and all this kind of stuff and the rich young ruler and, and all that. And, and I've read this one time before, I think, and I was embarrassed by reading, but I'm going to read it. I went and found it again because that week I sat down. I'm not a poet by any means. I write and I've taken writing lessons and I've written for newspapers and all kinds of stuff like that, but I'm not a poet or anything like that. But one, that one morning that week while I was sitting there, I had a scratch piece of paper and, I'm just start, and I just started scribbling these words out. And I'll just put it up on the screen for you, you can see it. And it was, it was just, I simply titled it Bored with Faith. And it just says, how bored I am, how can this be? Where is the life for which Christ died for me? I stand here now bored with my faith did Jesus die just to keep me safe? Lord, open the door and set me free. I want to live real Christianity. My life will change, but that's okay. I'd rather follow you than be bored with faith. And that just expressed my whole heart that week. I just came, so, I came home so hungry for more. And, and the, the challenge that Jesus gave the young man was to do something that was beyond his natural ability. Uh, to give away everything that he had come to rely on. He said, there's one thing you lack. Give away all you have to the poor and then come and follow me. And Jesus was challenging him to go beyond his comfort level. He wanted, he wanted the one thing to be something that he could achieve on his own, you know, without cost or without um, any trying or, or anything like that. But Jesus challenged him to live in a manner that was totally foreign to him. I read just this morning, I just read about, um, I'm trying to think of the man's name. He recently died. He, had, he was very wealthy and he gave his whole estate, which totaled over $8 billion dollars. He left it to no one, but he gave it all to charities. And family members were, and friends were shocked because they thought, surely he's going to leave us something. He gave it all away. And I thought, wow. I said, I said you know, I thought, well, there's probably going to be a lawsuit. Somebody's going to contest that, you know, but good luck. This guy was well-known. He had established charitable trusts and all kinds of things. And he had been a, phil a philanthropist throughout his life. He had given several million to his alma mater and this and that and everything. But when he died, he was worth over $8 billion and gave every cent away, didn't give it to anyone personally or anything like that. 
And that's kind of what Jesus was telling this rich young ruler. Go sell all you have. Get, give away all you have to the poor. Then you come and follow me. And it was, and of course we know the story. That he, the, the, the man, that was, too far, that was too much. That was too far for him to go. Um, keeping the commandments is good. That's, yeah, that's good. Um, but it's not spiritually satisfying. Um, we know or should know that our sins are forgetting, forgiven and they're forgotten. Uh, we know or should know that we could, we're going to spend eternity with the Lord when we die or when Jesus comes back. We know all those things. But too many people are living with the sense of feeling spiritually confined when Jesus came to set us free. You know, the old song, I love that old song. It says, I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Anybody know that one? <laughs> My daughter does, I know. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. I'm so glad Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah. Jesus set me free. You know, and it goes on what? Satan had me bound, but Jesus said. I mean, there's verse after verse after verse after verse, right? But the simplicity of that is true. We could sing the song about being free, but are we really free? Or are we bound, not so much by the devil, but are we bound by our comfort? Are we bound by our desire to want to have God within the limitations of what we are willing to give up? And when you draw a boundary and say, God, this is... This is what I give to you. And he goes, uh-uh. I want this. Then we have trouble. You know, then we have a problem. And he has a way of finding whatever it is and putting his finger on it and put, putting our face towards it and not letting us out, you know. It's, it's not like, you know, in school, a lot of schools today where, where they'll pass you whether you could pass, you know, the material or not. When God puts it, your, your face on something or his finger on something, he doesn't let you move on from there. You're either going to address that or you're going to turn away. And that's what the rich young ruler did. He turned away. He was, he was grieved because he was wealthy and he was used to having that security. And that's what Jesus sometimes will do because, again, it's risky Christianity if, if we live by faith, he's going to ask us to do things at times that are beyond our comfort zone. Um, his, his, the rich young ruler's restraint was financial security. Because Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, if you want to be made whole, go, because see, he's saying, I'm lacking something. So the, the opposite of, being, of, of lacking is to be made complete and made whole, right? Like if you're, it's like when you're hungry, but you don't know what you're hungry for, but you're hungry, you know? So you'll snack on just anything because you're hungry, but it may not be a good thing, but whatever. But Jesus says, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. And when we read the story, um, you know, we may read it and go, wow, Jesus was asking a lot of that guy. I mean, why do you have to give away all of it? Um, 
he had he, it was because he he was lacking. Jesus knew that the cure for his lacking was getting rid of the thing that kept him secure. And and um, I've had people tell me before says I, I can't follow God because he just wants he's going to want me to give up everything I have. How do you know that? Unless that that whatever you have has you. And if that whatever you have has you, then he's going after that. Right. I'm telling you, he's, he's going to go after that. Uh, the other part of us saying is if we're looking now from the backside and looking at this, and we're thinking, that rich young ruler is an idiot. I mean, I mean, this was the opportunity of a lifetime, an internship with none other than the Son of God. And he turned it down. Why? Because of some money? I mean, you know. Um, but we can say, we can say that knowing who Jesus is, the rich young ruler knew he was a teacher, a rabbi, but he had no idea he was the son of God. But think of it, if he had come and followed him, he would have figured that out. He would have learned that. And a lot, and there's a lesson in that. A lot of times we don't learn what God wants us to learn if we're not willing to give up something or let go of something. And um, uh, so in hindsight, the rich young ruler settled for spiritual mediocrity instead of striving for spiritual maturity. He, he just said, well, I've done all the other stuff and I'm at this point. I guess that's good enough. And... Good enough is not always the best. Most people think, well, but good is good. And they'll compare their lives to somebody else and they go, well, I'm better than they are. Where did we see that in the Bible? The Pharisee beating his chest. I'm better than that guy, you know. And God ridiculed the Pharisee and, and, and pointed out his sin and his fault. So when we compare ourselves to others, we go, well, I'm better than them or I'm better than... That, that's, that should be a red flag. He, the rich young ruler made the mistake of accessorizing his life instead of making his life an adventure. I got a granddaughter sitting on the back row over there who's living an adventure. She's traveling all over the place. And I just loved hearing the stories the other day when talking about when their team's out heading somewhere, and she's, she's the cook for the whole team. Otherwise, they'd all starve. Every one of them, they'd starve. And last year for Christmas, she wanted a camp coffee pot set. It's the blue and white tin pot, you know, with the cups that match and everything. That's what she wanted for Christmas, and I'm going... Really? <laughs> you know, but we got it. She was so excited. She, and she told us, she goes, so whenever, every morning I make coffee or whatever, uh, what's the other thing you make? That weird tea? Yeah. That's a different thing. Anyway, but she talked about how she uses that every single day, and she was so excited about it. I mean, a lot of times they're sleeping on the side of the road, you know, in tents or camping out or whatever, you know, they're roughing it. 
And, and, she's, and, and most young people her age would go, there's no way I'm going to be doing that. But I'm like, look what, where you're going. You've been to Alaska how many times? Three times already? Been all over the country, the inner cities, witnessed to people, just seeing God do miracles. And, and I'm thinking, man, that how awesome that is. But so many people today would go, I'm not letting my child go do that. I would not be going out there and doing that. I'm, I've got to have my, my regular routine, my regular whatever, you know. Well, I, I'm not saying that we're all called to that kind of life, but I'm just saying a lot of times we choose the known for the unknown. And the unknown is where God is. A lot of times. And then we go, why don't we see miracles? Because <laughs> we're too safe. Yeah. You know, I used to have people ask me all the time, I said, well, I don't ever see miracles. And I said, uh, have you ever been to a ball game? No. How do you think you're going to see a ball game unless you go to a ball game? And they were like, oh, okay. So I said, what, how, how do you think you can see miracles unless you go someplace where there's people who believe in miracles or a group that believes in miracles, you know, that kind of thing. I said, you, you just, you've got to put yourself there. You've got to go and do that. Um, uh, following Christ is a life of faith. Uh, when you go back and read about the, the uh, 12 disciples, the 12 apostles that followed the Lord, think about it. They heard all the parables with their own two ears. They drank the water that Jesus turned into wine, right? They, they, they filleted the, the fish that they caught miraculously. Uh, they were there when Jesus turned the temple upside down. They witnessed Jesus walking on the water, not to mention the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the lame walking, the dead being raised. And they were the first ones to see a man fly. Come on now, use your imagination. The Bible said when he ascended into heaven, there were no strings or guide wires. You know, it wasn't rocket man flying through the air, but he, he ascended and they saw that. And they were looking up and their mouths were open. The angels saying, men of Galilee, why are you looking up here like that? You know, they're probably thinking, you know. I don't know how you read your Bible, but I look at it that way. But in that day and age, the average person never traveled outside of maybe a 30 or 35 mile radius of their home. And yet Jesus sent his disciples to the four corners of the then known world. We know many of them were fishermen, um, some tax collectors, others probably had some other thing, but... Many of them earn their living catching fish. Let's just take the four that we know are fishermen. Um, if they had not been obedient to Christ, if they had not followed Christ, when Christ said, come and follow me, if they had not been obedient of going outside their comfort zone, if they had not been obedient to that, they would have never seen and never gone to the places they went to. Um, in history, we have, the third century historian Eusebius tells us that Peter went to Italy, that John ended up in Asia or Asia Minor, 
James, the son of Zebedee, traveled as far as Spain. And doubting Thomas went to India. And if you ever go to India in the Christian church there, Thomas is like the, the guy. I mean, the, his, his legacy rules in churches all over the place there. I, and, and they will tell you the story of how Thomas came to India. Um, do you think that was outside their comfort zone? But definitely. And yet Jesus called them to go and do that. Um, let me close. We're all familiar with the old adage or the old saying, no guts, no glory. I read at one time that somebody had modified it just a little bit, and it said, no guts, no glory, same story. In other words, if you're not willing to step out, if you're not willing to let God move you outside that comfort zone, why are you going to accept be amazed that the same story of your life is the same routine over and over and over again. Um, when we lack the, let me just say, fortitude, the intestinal fortitude to step out in faith, we rob God of the glory that would rightfully go to him. And so just like the rich young ruler, we have a choice. Jesus said, if you want to be made whole, you've got to, let go of whatever is holding you back. You've got to be willing to let it go. And, 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 and then he said, and then follow me. We can stay in our safe, secure lifestyle and end up with everything and realize that it amounts to nothing and we're still lacking something, missing something. Or we can come out of our own self-imposed confinement and live the lifetime, uh, an adventure of a lifetime. Um, God wants to write his story through your life. And you do realize when you take his story and combine it, it's history. He wants to write history through your lives. And it doesn't matter where you've been or where you are now. It doesn't matter what you know or you don't know. It doesn't matter what others think or what you think. What matters is that Jesus said, if you want to be complete and you want to be whole, then you have to give away whatever it is that's holding you back. If it's fear, you need to get rid of it. If it's insecurity, you need to get rid of it. If, whatever it is, if it's, it's, if it's apathy, you need to get rid of it. If it's, it's whatever, you need, you need to get rid of that and, and follow him. And when you follow him, I guarantee you it's going to be an adventure. It will be an adventure. You say, not my little corner. It'll be an adventure in your corner of the world. It doesn't have to be that you have to go to the four corners of someplace else, but God will open doors and opportunities right where you are. You can impact right where you work, right where you go to school, right where you live, right in your neighborhood. All of those things, he can do that through you if you say, God, here I am. I hold nothing back. I let everything go. Forgive me for being so concerned about the future. I mean, yeah, when you look at the news media and stuff, the future looks bleak. 
But when you look at God, God is in control. He knows what, he knows what you don't know. And he, he's ready to, to move and act on that. So let's just take a moment and let's pray. And, and ask the Lord, is there anything that's holding you back? Is there anything that you're holding on to? Whatever that might be. And this is the time to let it go. You have to decide. The rich young ruler had a choice to make. And the Bible says he went away sad. He went away grieving because he was wealthy. He owned much. The one thing that Jesus put his finger on, he grieved about. Is it really worth grieving the Lord, robbing him of his glory, that you were created to bring forth in this life through your life by being obedient to him. No, it's not. God has something so grand that you cannot even begin to imagine. Father, we just pray this evening. Let the Holy Spirit search our hearts right now. Let him search our hearts. Let him look inside, look in the very corners and recesses of our lives, Lord. What is it that God, that's holding us back? We're, we're on the, the, the very precipice of entering into a new year. Should you decide that that time should come? Father, can we enter that new year with a, with a different sense of purpose? With a, with a determination that God, I'm going to be complete. I'm going to be whole. I'm going to be fulfilled because I'm going to follow you with all my heart. God, don't, we're going to stand accountable. You said we, with every word and action and deed, we're going to be accountable. And I wonder how many times we sing songs and we say, God, I love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. I, uh, that you mean more to me than anything else. And God, are we, are we being truthful when we say that? Is our lifestyle showing that we're truthful in that? Spirit pull back the veil and show us what's lacking and what is it that we need to do that we may, might be made whole God if we live our lives the fullest for you we set the example for the generation behind us let us be faithful in that Lord let us be faithful in that Jesus name I just wanted to ask if if there's anyone here that maybe would have a um, would like to speak for a moment along that line 
maybe some something that God did in your life where he kind of pushed you past your comfort zone a little bit and got you to step out and trust him and and you saw the response or you saw the result of doing that
Stepping out. Right. Yep. In the process of stepping out. Right. Amen. Anyone else? Okay. Anyone need prayer tonight? You need some folks to pray with you about anything tonight. Headache? All right. April said strength. Anybody else? Okay. All right, church, this is your time to be the church. Howdy, why don't you step out in the aisle, if you can. April, step out in the aisle, and then let some of the folks come. And the Bible says, if two or three agree, touching any one thing, it shall be done. It says, pray in my name, speak in my name. Command these things to take place. In the name of Jesus, this is your part. Thank you, Lord. 